Andrew Talks to Chefs is an independent podcast. For current and past episodes, Andrew's blog, contact information, and more, please visit andrewtalkstochefs.com. To support us, please visit patreon.com slash andrewtalkstochefs. Enjoy the show. I'm Massimo Bottura. This is Amanda Cohen. This is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaze. This is Paul Kahn. This is Curtis Stein. This is Stephen Harris. This is Missy Robbins. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs. You know, we're going to figure it out and it's not easy, you know, and we're going to, we're going to try things and they're going to fail or not going to be as successful as we think they will be or whatever. But I'm a true believer. I've never felt even during these, these last, you know, six, seven, eight months that, Hey, we're in, we're in trouble here. We're, what, what are we going to do? And, you know, <laughs> changing careers or something like that. I don't, I've never felt that at all. That is the voice of legendary American chef, Charlie Palmer. He is our guest today on Andrew talks to chefs hi everybody welcome to the show this is andrew talks to chefs i am your host andrew friedman and our guest today is the legendary american chef charlie palmer as many of you may know, Charlie has been a real fixture in the American restaurant and chef scene going back to the late 70s, early 80s. He was one of the very first chefs at the River Cafe restaurant in Brooklyn, New York. He first struck out on his own as a chef owner at Oriole Restaurant in New York City in the mid-1980s. Since that time, he has been involved in various projects, including hotels, Way too many for me to mention here in this introduction. If you are not familiar with Charlie's career and his current endeavors, I invite you to link through to his company's website at the episode page for this show at andrewtalkstochefs.com. Or if you listen on Apple Podcasts where the links are functional, you can link through from there. Uh, Charlie has been on the show before, early on in the show's lifespan. We did a you know, a full biographical interview, one of our usual shows, I guess. Uh, Charlie reached out to me uh, back in the fall, and I have to apologize to him as I did to our most recent guest, Joshua Smith. Uh, I just banked way more episodes than I could air in a timely manner. Uh, Charlie is actually the last of the ones that I had on hold. After this one drops today, the 23rd of December, I will be dropping a quartet of interviews in a holiday special on the 24th, which of course is Christmas Eve day. And then we're going to shut the show down for a week and then see you all back here, hopefully rested and reinvigorated at the beginning of the new year. Uh, I really don't think I need to say much about this interview. Charlie basically wanted to come on, talk about how he and his team have been dealing with the COVID crisis. Uh, we talked actually right around the time of those terrible wildfires in Northern California, which is where Charlie is based these days. Uh, I did remove a good portion of that from the interview. It was only a few minutes, but it's no longer timely, obviously. We do have some references to seating capacities in restaurants in New York and California and to weather in California that are a little bit out of date now, but I didn't want to tinker or torture the editing process too much. I really wanted to get this interview to all of you 
before the end of the year, because I do think his observations and experiences of COVID and how experiences from earlier in Charlie's life, you know, this is someone who lived through as a restaurateur the the terrible financial crash of 1988, who went through uh, the September 11 attacks and their aftermath. Uh, you know, he's seen a lot. He also is somebody who, who, although he now is someone I would describe as a hugely successful business person, uh, came from a background essentially of, of you know, what he describes as, as a poor background uh, in an agricultural community in upstate New York. So if you only know him more recently, uh, you may be surprised at how much sort of um, life experience he brings to the emotional component of dealing with a crisis like this. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to my conversation with Charlie, recorded remotely a couple of months ago from his home in Northern California and my home in Westchester County, New York. Here you go. You know, I don't know. It's another challenge. Uh, we're being challenged this year uh, by a lot of things, right? So I think it's uh, maybe it's a test of like who who survives all these, uh, you know, amazing amazingly unthought of things that could happen to us. But uh, it's, it's definitely pushing. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's crazy. You know, I mean, so many, you know, it's become this meme, you know, everyone just keeps referring to, you know, well, it's 2020. Um, yeah. I, I don't particularly find it amusing. I mean, we have, I, I'm also not sitting around licking my wounds, you know, I mean, we're all hustling and doing what we can to try to, you know, keep our ships afloat. Um, uh, uh, which, you know, when you reach out about coming on the show, this was actually uh, what you wanted to maybe chat about. Um, you know, it it has been really fascinating to me speaking. I probably between the show and my writing and then my just my social circle, I probably talk to, I don't know, four, five, six, seven chefs every day. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, the variance across um well, first of all, you know, whether someone's a single unit or has one or two places and then someone like you who has a number of operations on on, you know, more than one coast. Before we get specific and philosophical, how do you even get your arms around dealing with something like this across an organization? Well, you know, honestly, we we daily we have a, um, a Zoom call with all our, our our leadership, I should call it. Um, across the country, you know, which is something that we've become, I think, very good at and very, uh, it's very effective, you know, to understand, you know, obviously the, the different, different challenges in each place, in each restaurant, um, but in each business too, because we have businesses that are, you know, um, linked obviously to the, to the restaurant and food business, but not, not operating restaurants and stuff. So, you know, I think, you know, in that sense, we've become very good um, and very efficient at it. But, you know, we review what's happening, you know, what's happening or what could happen in each one of our locations and a schedule and a timing and, and you know, our plan to go forward. You know, and I think, you know, in, in some cases, recreating a business plan for each one of our outlets, um, you know, and along with that, you know, repositioning, you know, people, personnel, teams, um, and who's going to take on those challenges and who's going to, who's going to, who's going to drive the, drive the truck in each one of them. <laughs> right. So it's a combination. If I understand you, it's a combination between adjusting in real time to what's in front of you on a given day or week 
and then sort of exercising what it sounds like, uh, like kind of virtual war games for possible scenarios in terms of timing of reopening, scale of reopening, in terms of what the allowed capacities will be in various places, um, you know, uh, pivoting as we now have in our vocabulary uh, uh, to take away and things like that. Is that accurate? It's both a, both a very kind of myopic, uh, immediate, uh, sh constant shifting, and then also kind of uh, having, well, you played high school football, having a playbook for the future. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is, is, is creating a playbook. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. Each one of our, each one of our things is different. You know, each location is different. Um, timing is different. And I think, you know, we not only like have created a go forward business plan for each one of the restaurants, um, but also uh, a schedule that obviously continues to fluctuate and move, you know, move forward. You know, if, if you'd have said to me six months ago that, you know, that some, some of our places would still not be open in any way, shape or form, you know, for physical dining, I would have said, you're crazy. You know, that, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be way beyond that, but you know, obviously that's not the case, you know, in things like New York, where we know that even at 25% occupancy, um, we would just be, you know, it would be a, an exercise on how much money we could lose in operating. So, and, and that goes right down to like bringing staff members back on board that, you know, we're, we know we're not going to be able to support for a long period of time if things don't change. And, you know, and then the, the analysis of, you know, what it really takes in the most limited way to operate a restaurant, even at 25% occupancy. And, and again, with all the new rules and all the things that we have to consider that create more labor, uh, that go along with that. So, and that's different in each, each, you know, county, each state also. You know, like for instance, in Las Vegas, you know, we re we reopen. Um, it's you know, it's much more relaxed from a state and and level than say what New York is going to require. You know, as far as like taking everyone's temperature, recording everybody's um, reservation, and having a contact, you know, for each one of the people that come to visit you, um, and all you know, all those things. And that's just a, a couple of things, you know, that, that go down. Uh, recording every, you know, the temperature of everybody that delivers anything to the restaurant, you know, from a, from a facilities way too. Um, you know, and then, and then, you know, of course, like here in California, we, at Dry Creek Kitchen, we've been reopened for, oh, almost three months now. So, um, but uh, when we went from 50% seating indoor, that went back, went backwards and only outdoor seating. Uh, we were very blessed because we have a lot of outdoor seating and, you know, before the fires, of course, we had, we had, we had a great, uh, a, a great business going, um, uh, and we're able to bring back pretty much full staff and, and, and then sometimes, you know, at, at a revenue level that was, you know, better than, uh, what we called normal, you know? Wow. But then when you have fires and ash falling out of the sky and, and smoke, unhealthy smoke uh, levels uh, that obviously goes away quickly. Yeah. I mean, for, forget the grapes. It's not very good for diners either. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it, but it, but I have to say it's amazing that, you know, in the early parts of the fire where we were still open uh, for outdoor dining at dry Creek kitchen, 
people were like, you know, we'd literally have to like dust the table to get the, the fallen ash off. But they they just wanted to dine, you know, they just wanted a dining experience. And uh, um, but you know, now hope, hopefully, knock on wood, that we're we're back to that level right now because you know the weather's you know the weather looks like it's going to be great for a good period of time and before we hit winter and uh right and uh so you know we're hopeful there you know so so i want to talk a a little bit more about some of the things you're doing i also want to just talk philosophically for a minute but before we do that charlie i just you know I've been around a while so this i i i know a lot about you you were a major figure in a in the book i wrote a couple years ago um, but I don't know how many people know this, you know, today you're kind of, you're known as someone who has, um, you know, a, a lot, you know, you're kind of a, a mogul in the industry or certainly a, a business person. I think on, Insta, you know, I've probably seen you in person as much in a chef's coat as I have in a, in a suit. Um, although I do still see you in your whites. I, I have to make sure people understand that. Um, but you know, I, for people who, you know, younger listeners who only know kind of the the Charlie Palmer of the last 10, 15 years, and I, I'm sure you won't mind me saying this because you've said it on the record to me, you you know, you grew up, to use your word, poor. I mean, you grew up with without much money. Um, uh, and I'm curious to know if that is something that has, you know, when you come into a moment like this um, and and kind of... I think the grit it requires of people, uh, you know, in all lines of work, but especially I think in something like the restaurant business has, has that, I know it's the, you know, it's in the distant past in the rearview mirror now, but ha- did that kind of help steal you for a, a time like this? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm certain that, you know, my history and, you know, whether I was when, when I was young, and as you said, like, you know, when I grew up, you know, I, it was, when I look back, I, I grew up like I couldn't even imagine how my parents supported us on, you know, the income that 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 I as a junior high school kid would do as taxes. I was like, you know, how, do, how did we live? You know, how did how did we live? And it's not like we lived extravagantly, but we, we weren't, you know, not we were never like wanting for, you know, we never we always had dinner on the table. We always had, you know, the, the basic you know things in life. Um, I could say we didn't have a lot of. Uh, you know, extravagance, that's for sure. You know, you know, dining out when I was a kid was, that was an event. That was not uh, an everyday occurrence or even a weekly occurrence. That was, you know, it's your birthday. You get to decide to, to go to a restaurant, what restaurant you get to go to. And these were not like, you know, expensive restaurants, but. Yeah, I mean, this is way upstate New York. The yeah, and this was like, you know, to be able to go to, you know, the Sherburn Inn for dinner, which at that point was probably, you know, a check average of, you know, Twenty twenty six dollars a person or somewhere in that neighborhood, you know, um, right? You know that was a big deal, you know. Um, but you know, I think you know the t- the times that we've been through from a business standpoint, like nine eleven, that was, you know, that was a, that was a time that I recall right now very clearly, and the steps that we took uh, from a business standpoint, uh, but also from I think a philosophical point, like like we're not going to be you know, we're not going to be beaten down here. We're going to, we're going to figure this out. We're going to figure out how to, how to create success, how to keep everybody stable or, you know, and I, when I say everybody, our team members and the people that have, you know, worked and built what we, we think is, is a great, you know, restaurant group and a company. And, uh, 
you know, and we're, you know, we're going to figure it out and it's not easy, you know, and we're going to, we're going to try things and they're going to fail or not going to be as successful as we think they will be or whatever. But, you know, I'm a true believer. I've never felt even during these, these last, you know, six, seven, eight months that, Hey, we're in, you know, we're in trouble here. We're, we're not, we're, what are we going to do? End up, you know, <laughs> changing careers or something like that. I don't, I've never felt that at all. Um, right. Sure. So what, uh, well, first of all, I'd love to know, and I, I should say, I'm sure I'll have mentioned in the introduction, in full disclosure, I have to say um, it was gifted to me, but but you're, I don't know what we call him now, Harold Moore, who is, what do we call him, your corporate chef now in New York? Yeah, he's like culinary director. Is that culinary director, excuse me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, Harold and I are buddies. He paid me a visit. He brought me some of the Oreo at home dishes that you all are doing. Um, they were, I have to say, I'm not just saying this because, you know, they were gratis, but they were they were outstanding. Um, do you think that for your group and for others that this takeaway business that so many people have forged at this time is going to be a, a permanent thing, even for high end restaurants? Because it seems to me it's going to be a matter of kind of getting as many pillars as possible under your businesses for, I mean, for years, right, to, to, to keep things stable and. I don't know how you guys, how anyone could, I know it's was kind of seen for a lot of people as kind of a pain and, and maybe certain level of food doesn't, you know, automatically lend itself to this. But a lot of people, including you guys, have made a real, real admirable go of it. I think you guys have, you know, solved the puzzle of it. And I would imagine that's an attractive revenue stream that you're not going to let go of. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's it's there for the long term. Um, you know, I think as you you know, as you were saying, I mean, I think it's going to play into the success of our businesses, you know, even if it's, you know, what we talk about now, I mean, I can't recall exact numbers, but we're, you know, if you're doing, let's say you're doing like, you know, three or $4,000 a day in that takeout business, that's substantial because, you know, you're the same culinary team in the kitchen when we are open for a la carte business or, you know, for, for seating and, and actual in the, in, in the restaurant, your only cost really assuming that, you know, that same culinary team can produce what's going out is, you know, it just adds to the revenue. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's going to be the model for us for certain in all of our restaurants, there has to be a component there of that takeout or that they'll take out delivery um, at, at whatever level. You know, and, and the more casual places, even even those have to have that component, too. Um, but I think it's also going to be from a habit uh, point of view, what New Yorkers especially are going to it's always going to be part of their uh, their DNA now too. They're, people have gotten used to, you know, ordering and they want, you know, not everyone, but they, you know, people want a really great quality experience at home, you know, Um and I think, you know, we're just getting better and better at it. I have to say, we don't early on, we, you know, we made some definite, like definite, I think we're trying to be too much, you know, trying to be too much like the dining experience um, that we provide in, in the restaurant and really be more practical about what really travels, what, you know, what's, you know, when it's warmed or heated in the oven, what really makes, you know, what really works and it produces a great dish, you know, because at the end of the day, that's the way you're judged, right? And, uh, and we're getting better and better at it all the time. And I think, you know, Harold and I talk about it all the time. Like this, this is really a great dish for this. It works well. People love it. 
um, you know, it's had great success and some other things, not so much. So you, you just, and you, you know, you twist a little bit, you know, but, um, but when you, when you, when you say people love it, do you guys have, I, I think you're the first person I've thought to ask this of, but do you have an online equivalent of, you know, the, the quote, you know, the old comment card? Like, are you actually getting feedback from your at home customers? Yeah, and we ask everyone for it. They, you know, hopefully they ask you for your comments, Andrew. Um, but yes, we, we we encourage that, and not, not everyone, but um, but a good amount of people. Again, because I think maybe they have a little bit more time, they're, they're more appreciative of of the idea that they take the time to to give us comments. You know. Um, yeah. And we're testing it out too. With you know, we're, we we test it all the time. You know, continually test it with people that we know. You know, have a great appreciation for good food and wine, for instance. And, uh, and that help that feedback helps a lot too, you know, um, you know, because if we can make ourselves better and people appreciate it more, they're going to talk more about it. And, you know, like, you know, Hey, you should really try this Oreo at home. It's, you know, it's pretty amazing stuff. And, you know, that, that, that's how you build a business, you know, just like the, right. people go away from your, you know, from your restaurant, uh, saying, you know, telling their best friends, like, wow, I had a great dinner great meal, you know, at Oriole or, you know, or Charlie Palmer steak, whatever it is. And that's the best clientele you can build is someone that's like personally referred from, you know, a friend or that kind of thing. That's, that's building real clientele. You know? Sure. So what, where, I mean, it's kind of a, it's not kind of, it is a very broad question. You know, what's your, what's your level of, of optimism at this point, you know, in, for the industry in general, you know, we are starting to hear of, of shutdowns, uh, you know, uh, people who aren't going to be coming back. Um, uh, I actually saw an article in New York the other day, there were actually one or two places where I know the people and I hadn't, you know, I hadn't heard, you know, I'd missed the news. Um, uh, do you think we're going to see a, a leveling off soon in that? Do you think this winter is my feeling as a, I mean, I cover you guys, but as a, you know, I'm not a business person. I've never owned a restaurant. As a lay person, I feel like this, the winter is going to be the real, that's going to be the real demarcation line uh, for people. Like if they can get through that and come out on the other side, I feel like that's when the smoke's, sorry to use this analogy, but that's when the smoke will start to clear. Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm in close contact, obviously, with a lot of, a lot of colleagues and fellow restaurateurs and, things, you know, not, not just in New York, but, you know, nationwide and especially where we are. And, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me that, you know, uh, a large percentage of restaurants, um, don't reopen, um, you know, and, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's really disheartening and it's, and it's, you know, uh, I hope, I hope it's not to, to the point where <laughs> the numbers I hear, like, 50% of restaurants are not going to reopen or won't make it, um, you know, but at the same time, you know, I think a lot of people are looking at themselves and saying, you know, saying, is this really what I want to do? Is this really where I want to play? And, you know, is this, is this my life's dream or, or was I, you know, you know, or could I do something else that's going to make me happier in life? Because I think that's the point we're at now for some people it's, this is, this is really hard and it is really hard, but, uh, but for someone like myself, you know, this is, this is all I know, 
quite honestly. I mean, you know, I've, I've been doing this my entire life and I'm not about to, you know, be, become a, you know, heart surgeon tomorrow. So, um, but, you know, but I think, yeah, but I think, you know, springtime is probably the time we're going to see the real fallout of, of things. Um, but, you know, I got two calls today of people that's like, look, I'm, I'm not going to reopen, you know, can't do it. Can't make a, you know, can't make a deal with the landlord. I mean, that's going to be the, the real tough situation. You know, if, if someone can't pay rent or can't whatever, it's like, you can't, you can't do business if you're not in an environment, um, where there's a lot of forgiveness and a lot of understanding from your landlord or, or even banks, you know? Well, can I ask you though, Charlie, I mean, I, this is something I don't understand, right? Um, is I don't understand where it behooves a landlord not to, and I'm not saying this just because so many of my friends are in your industry. I don't understand how it behooves a landlord to not work something out. I mean, who, in the short, and when I say short term, I mean the next, let's say, year. Who's going to come into these spaces that are built out and and outfitted as restaurant spaces? I mean, isn't it a choice between working something out and having a space that's going to be dark for the foreseeable future? Yeah, you're exactly. Am I, am I missing something? It just makes no sense to me at all. You're not. You're not missing anything. Um... But I think, you know, the, the mentality, especially in certain metropolitan markets is, you know, if you don't, if you don't maintain a certain, you know, a certain level of rent or a certain level that, that eventually it starts to bring the entire market down and which is not untrue. I mean, because look, if, if, if someone can get a better deal in a better location somewhere else, they're probably going to move there. Right. Um, but at the same time, you're absolutely right. We're in, we're in a world now that's different. It's not like, you know, that space is become going to become a retail space because retail's dead, <laughs> quite honestly. Um, so, I mean, what is it going to be? Is it, is it going to be, um, you know, someone going to come along, come along and rent the space? I, I don't think so. But yeah, I, I mean, the thinking is not always like uh, logical, I guess I would say, you know, and, and I've had these conversations, obviously, we have a lot of relationships with different people, different landlords. And I have to say, we've, we've been very fortunate in most cases. Um, but we have a couple of cases where it's just like, look, you know, can't pay the rent, you know, hand us the keys because uh, we're, we're not gonna, we're not, we're not gonna make a deal with you. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's disheartening. And again, I don't know how that that, that helps anybody, including the landlord. So you, you know, you opened the, uh, in the, in its original incarnation, you opened Oriole, um, uh, right around the time of the, the, the crash in the late eighties, um, yeah. uh, right on the eve of the whole thing. Um, you mentioned September 11, um, you know, for younger cooks who are listening, uh, for, for chefs out there who maybe, you know, were couple of months in or year or two in on their first restaurant and they're they're shuttered or they're just kind of on life support getting by with outdoor dining and and takeaway and whatever they're able to kind of cobble together do you have any advice to share with with um people out there having weathered your share of storms in your career yeah i mean i think um you know i think the best advice i could give anybody and i've, I've actually had some pretty pretty lengthy conversations with 
younger uh, restaurateurs is that don't put yourself in a position where you're going to borrow a lot of money or you're going to um, hope for the best and not have a really good plan. You know, if you, if you can't figure out how you're going to have a labor model that's going to fit for sales that you are pretty sure you're going to be able to do, um, then don't do it. Don't do it. Wait, you know, wait. And, you know, there'll be other opportunities. I mean, I think that's the thing too, that people have to, have to be more um, conscious of that, you know, with all this thing and with all this turmoil that's going to happen and is happening now, you know, at some point there's going to be amazing opportunities too to jump back in. And you mean to take to take one of those vacant spaces yeah. at, at, a, at a price that would have been previously unaffordable? Yep, and you know, and, and maybe at a timing thing where you know, let, you know, let's say there is a, a true. Um, you know, a, a solution to this problem that I think most people, um, if there is a vaccine that's, that, that is proven to be effective and everything like that, and, you know, things start to get better, I think that's, that's the time where you're going to have opportunities too, you know, and it's all about a timing thing. I mean, I think people are, are fatigued and they're holding out and they're trying to wait and they're trying to understand what's going to happen and trying to predict what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. But there is going to be a point, I think, where there's going to be a lot of opportunity. And and maybe it's a time like, look, maybe, you know, a lot of people have asked me, like, does it really make sense to try to reopen the restaurant, you know, with 25% occupancy? Um, in our case, in all of our cases, no, it does not make sense. It's, it makes more sense to wait at least till we can get 50% occupancy and be assured that maybe our projections are, are very accurate, you know, as far as like what kind of sales we can produce. Cause then we know what kind of labor we can bring back on board. Uh, if we purchase correctly, which we've always been great at um, controlling our costs that we can have a viable business. Um, so, you know, I think obviously everybody, you know, everybody wants to get back to, to work or not, not everybody, but most people, they want to get back to work. They want to get back to, you know, living their dream. They want to get back to like, you know, cooking great food and serving it to people, but right. they may have to be more patient than they think uh, and, and, and really wait. So the timing is right. You know? Yeah. So is there anything you guys are doing at any of the, I mean, I, I'm familiar with the, the, you know, Oreo at home program here in New York, but are there any other programs you have at any of your places around the country that you uh, are particularly um, pleased that you all have managed to pull off at this time, or to be honest, even that you just want people, you know, who might be listening to, to know about, to point them to. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit, Andrew, that, you know, our, our approach is that each one of our businesses or restaurants has to have at least a three pronged approach going forward. Okay, one, one is obviously to re-engage and start serving food in that location um, at whatever capacity. Secondly, um, it has to have that takeout component. It has to have that aggressive um, order pickup um, component to it. And thirdly, it has to, we have to figure out and engage what I call um, almost like a contract feeding 
um, component for each one of our places where like a good example is for instance, in New York, you know, one of our locations, we have a contract to do um, 150 lunches and now 200 dinners every day. Um, now these aren't expensive meals, but these are, these are producing, you know, box lunches, box dinners for different people, whether it's a company like a, um, a business like a JP Morgan that's brought people back into their offices and, and as a perk is providing a very safe and very uh, hopefully attractive um, solution to have, you know, lunch and dinner for them or breakfast and lunch with them. Um, and again, that's another piece of revenue that's like every day, every day, every day, you know, we know we're going to produce these and we're going to, we're going to make X dollars from doing that. And again, it's doing it with the same labor model um, or with very little addition to that labor model that we have for operation of that restaurant or that location. Um, and then in some cases, we've, we've been very lucky and very fortunate to start um, doing some virtual cooking, cooking classes, yep. facilitating, like you know, we're doing, uh, you know, actually tonight, actually we do, um, uh, I, did, I did a deal with um, Visa and Fidelity where to, I guess it's their top end clients or, or yeah, yes, their top end clients. On the East Coast and the West Coast, there's 300 plus um, really cool like dinner packages going out to the to these uh, to these uh, individuals um, on behalf of Fidelity as kind of a token of their appreciation for you know being clients and everything and um, it's in combination uh, with a Zoom broadcast uh, of Charles Woodson whose wine is paired with my cuisine. We've done a lot of things together live, like, you know, entertaining dinners and presentations to groups. And so we're doing it virtually. And uh, so we have, you know, these 300, 300 meal packs are really cool looking um, that are being delivered to these homes. Um, and then at, at five o'clock tonight, there'll be a zoom presentation where everybody can tune in. And we, it's a little bit of light cooking demonstration. It's a little back and forth between Charles and myself about cooking, food, wine, football, uh, and hopefully something that's attractive for people to listen to and be entertained for an hour um, or 45 minutes, I should say. And, mm -hmm. you know, but that's another whole piece of business, um, you know, for everyone. And, you know, I've been doing a number of these with different wineries and winemakers because obviously their, their business is just like our business. It's, you know, struggling. Um, in a sense that, you know, people are consuming wine, but they're, they're not visiting tasting rooms. Um, they're not doing all these things that, you know, we, we, in a normal business world would happen. So, well, yeah. and they're not buying, and they're not buying it in restaurants in the numbers they usually well, would be. Yeah. Buying wine, right. <laughs> so this is a chance for Charles to, you know, to sell, you know, 800 plus, plus bottles of wine in one shot in one day. Right. Well, that's a, that's a big deal. So that's another, that's another thing, you know, yeah. Cooking classes, I've done virtual cooking classes where, um, the other night I did a, a YPO group, um, and paired with, uh, with Silver Oak and we did the same kind of thing where, 
you know, they, they, they had the wines of them and, you know, we were, we did a cooking class together. That was a charity event to raise some money for the restaurant workers in Virginia. So, you know, that was a, that was a nice thing to do too. Um, did a little online auction, raised about $45,000 total. So that, you know, that, that's good. It's not a, it's not a revenue maker, but it's something that makes you feel good. It makes you feel right. Feel like you're still, you know, everybody's still part of what we are a big family of people trying to take care of care of each other. You know? Yeah. Can, when do you think, you know, a lot of what I listen, I, I, I don't want this to come out wrong because I do admire the way everybody is being creative and, and doing what they can to, um, you know, shore up the, the, the foundation of their businesses at this time. Um, you know, I, it does seem to me that it has become almost entirely, and I'm not saying that people aren't, you know, executing uh, to the best degree they can, right? But when I think about what draws most people to cooking, right? Especially like someone like you, people who cook in your restaurants and most of the, most of the chefs we've have on this show, I, I, I do wonder where people are finding the joy right now. Uh, if you don't mind the question, you know, I do wonder where the cooks who are lucky enough to be working are finding that um, exhilaration that they find. I mean, I've even had people just say to me, it's not that I mind cooking for takeaway. It's not like I think I'm above that. But, you know, they and this sounds very cliche, but I've heard it from so many people. They miss that um, that that hit of a service. You know, they miss that adrenaline. Um, they miss that, that sprint every night, or I guess I should say that marathon every night. Um, are you laughing as I say this? Yeah, no, you're, you know, it's true because we just, but I've heard it from executive chefs down to line cooks. I mean, they, they miss the action. I mean, they just do. Yeah. I I think, you know, I think in some ways, like, you know, we're, we're all in in our, in our business, we're adrenaline junkies in some, in some ways. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I have to say I get I'm getting that now doing these virtual I've, I've probably done more like hands on recipe development and cooking uh, in the last six months, you know, than that I've done in the last few years, you know, as far as like really, you know, really being hands in hands on and, and cooking and, and, and practicing technique, because that's the one thing that's, you know, really come become evident that like I love I love the little little things about cooking and being really perfect about it. You know, like, like for instance, you know, fillet, uh, a fillet of fish with a skin on where you're searing the skin to the point where it's crackling crisp and it's, it's super, you know, uniform across the pan. And there's this little bubbling kind of separation of the skin from the flesh. And, you know, and you, and you really look at it, it's like, this is absolutely perfect. We've got it perfect, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, you know, you know, honestly, you know, in busy times and in, 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 in what was a normal life, uh, you didn't probably really have that. I didn't have that appreciation like I do now. It's, it kind of throws you back to the days of like you didn't have to worry about a lot of other things. You were just focused on one single thing, which is cooking a perfect dish. And, yeah. uh, you know, like cooking pasta till it's really absolutely perfect toothsome, not al dente, not over, you know, overcooked or, or under al dente kind of thing. Like little things like that, that really like, wow, you know, this is, this is pretty cool. And, 
you know, yeah. I, I think that's it's, a, it's I've heard that from a lot of people, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, a, a shorthand for everything you're describing would be uh, mojo, right? Feeling your yeah. mojo. Yeah. <laughs> Reminding yourself that you have the chops, right? It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think even home cooks are experiencing that right now. You know, it, it is, um, you know, a lot of people, I, I count myself, I've never been a better cook in my life. You know, I've been cooking so much. Yeah. Um, and, you know, nothing, it's like writing. Nothing will make you better at it than, than just doing a lot of it, you know? Well, the, the other good thing is, and, you know, I've, I've heard this, you know, just in the last few days from a number of people, um, that I, again, I think when we, when we get through this, you know, it's going to be good for, for the restaurant tours, you know, uh, because people are like, you know, I'm so tired of cooking, you know, I like it. Yeah. I'm so tired of having to cook every single night for myself or my, my family or whatever, like that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's music to my ears when, you know, we're starting to think about reopening restaurants and like, you know, like. Hey, come on over. We'll do the cooking, right? We're gonna we're gonna take care of that for you. Absolutely, no problem. <laughs> so, right. Let's hope that timing again works well together when people are just so tired of cooking. You know. Yes, I I, I can assure you it will. <laughs> I can yeah. assure you. Even now, I mean, I am enjoying cooking a little bit, but I mean, I again, I, I knew you know we're as you know you have businesses here and and. Uh, you know, you have a, I know you probably haven't been going back and forth, but you know, New York, you know, the, the numbers here have been pretty, have been pretty good. It feels, you know, everyone's masked up, but it feels, you know, it does feel like a very low, if non risk situation to go, go out and eat outdoors, you know, and, and, uh, uh, you know, it still feels new and fresh after the months we had where we couldn't do that at all. I mean, it does. And, and I know that's going to, I hear it from everybody. I hear it from all the civilians I know. Like they just, they, they can't. I, in fact, I have dinner plans this Friday with a chef. Um, and he has not, he's a consultant now, right? But he has not been to a restaurant since the shutdown. Um, yeah. And we're going out to dinner Friday. Um, so, yeah. And, and I, know he, I know he's terribly excited. Yeah. Well, I, I think we're all, and I know this, and I'm sure you feel the same way. I think we... We all have an incredibly new appreciation for the small, tiny things in life. You know, whether it's being able to go out to a restaurant, uh, whether it's being able to, you know, uh, be together with somebody socially, because that's special now, right? That's that's special. That was a given not so long ago, and now that's really special. And I think. But the one good thing I think is I think people this will be long lasting. I think people will will remember, you know, like, hey, this wasn't special before, but now it's really special and really be appreciative of the opportunity to, to be with other people and be social and be in a restaurant and enjoy great food in a restaurant and, and appreciate even wines. Like, you know, I think like, you know, I had the great I've always had the great pleasure of being surrounded by incredible wines, right? Now it seems like every bottle that I open, I have a new appreciation for. Wow, I didn't realize, you know, I never thought how great this wine is, or you know, how how floral this 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 Cabernet is that you know I haven't tasted in a while, and I kind of think, and I think those small little you know points of appreciation are something that um, comes out of all this, you know, and I and I hope it I hope it sticks. I I'm, I, I think it will. You know, I have zero doubt in my mind that it will stick 
for anybody who's the least bit reflect, reflectful, uh, 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 in touch with, you know, what's in touch with the world around them. I mean, I don't know how you can't be changed by all this. I mean, it's obviously there's been a lot of loss. Um, but once, you know, like you said, when we do come out of it, those of us who got through it, I, I do think I've already have that going on. I mean, really small, you know, I've never done this before this, uh, this past weekend, Saturday and Sunday, it was nice here on the East Coast. And, you know, I just spent the entire day in my backyard. And I wasn't like gardening or anything. I mean, I, I had work to do. I had some reading to do. And, and you know, my wife, Caitlin, and I spent the entire day, both days, just, you know, out back. And <laughs> that's now, amazingly, we've lived in the suburbs for almost six years now. We've never done that before i mean we've had you know we'll have a cookout at night or we'll go out have eat lunch outside or we'll have a cocktail outside but we spent the entire day just soaking it up you know and th that sounds so silly not to if i lived in california i would probably do it more often but <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't occur to me to do it here um well come on out <laughs> hey listen i can't wait to come back um well, Charlie, it's great to talk to you. Um, hey, thanks. I got I have to add something and tell you. A little yeah, bit. go whatever you want. For for our listeners too, that you know. So my form of travel was always on an airplane, right? Um, and you know, for me to drive more than an hour anywhere was like a chore. You know, I just you know, I just don't do it, right? So now, you know, the places we have been going, uh, which is not a lot, but. You know, an eight-hour drive to San Diego to see my older son and be in a very safe environment, you know, because I knew it was there. Um, so I listened to uh, the audio book or the, uh, what's it called? Yeah, the audio book of uh, Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. And I have to tell you, I, I talk about a new appreciation. I, I, I have to confess, I never read the full book, you know. That's well, a dagger. That's a dagger to my heart. I'm, I'm just writing, kidding. Man. This is a piece of writing. And I have to recommend to anybody that isn't in that, in, into that audiobook mode, it is really great to be able, you know, especially when you're in a situation where you're going to be able to listen to something for, you know, hours straight. Really enjoyable. Really enjoyable. I listened to it with my, my wife and one of my sons in the car and everything and, and learning things that, learning things that I didn't know about. <laughs> so, Even I, though you, well, that, thank you, Charlie. That means, a, I mean, obviously from someone like you, who's, you know, you're like I said, you're a major figure in the book. Um, uh, uh, you know, that means a lot to me. And for people who don't know the, the book, Charlie's talking about chef's drugs and rock and roll was, I wrote it about, um, gosh, it came out about two and a half years ago now. And it's yeah. about the American chefs of the seventies and eighties. Um, a very good read. Everyone, anyone. Thank you. It, it's required reading. If you have any appreciation for food or have any interest in what happened with food um, from that period of time on, it, it's 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 all comprehensive and it's it's great. Really great job. Well, really thank you, thank you for saying that, Charlie. That's very that's kind of you. It was, um, you know, it was the thing I really wanted to do, and I spent a longer time than my publisher would have liked doing it, um, but. Um, you know, when I hear something like that from someone like you, it means it means the world to me. So thanks. Thanks for sneaking that in at the end. I appreciate it. Hopefully we see it on the big screen at some point. We're working on it. We're, it's It's been optioned by some producers that are trying to mount a documentary or a doc series. But, um, you know, all the tumblers haven't fallen into place yet. So we'll yeah. see. 
We'll see. We're, we're, we're plugging away. And um, thanks for coming on the show. It was great to hear from you. I was delighted you wanted to come on. I'm, anytime you want to catch up on air, it's, it's uh, you know, open invitation. So well, I appreciate it. And thank uh, you. You, you know, thanks for having me and uh, miss you. Same Bye. here. We'll, we'll get a drink when this is all over. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> And that's our show for today. Again, my great thanks to Charlie Palmer for joining us and sharing all of those thoughts. And Charlie, again, my apology that it took me so long to get this show up on the air. I do invite all of you to make sure to check back with us in a day or so on the 24th of December when we will be dropping our holiday special. That show will live at the top of our roster on all podcast platforms until the new year when we will be back with our first show of 2021. Again, as the year winds down, I do want to thank Sam Pellegrino for their support of this show. And I would like to thank After School Special for their music. Please check out their album, Double Barrel, Single Entendre on iTunes. Please follow us on Instagram. The handle there is at Chef Podcast. And if you would take a moment to leave us a rating, and especially if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that does help more people find the show and we would be eternally grateful for that. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back very soon with our next and last episode of 2020.